Welcome back, everyone. I am Paul. And I'm Jamie. And this is another crazy episode of Criminally Disturbed. And boy, is it crazy. Like crazier than anything we've heard before? Well, no. Not that crazy. Oh. It is a very interesting case. It is uh, in news right now. Oh. Um, it actually had an update just a couple of days ago, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. And so that is something I was actually doing the research on this case. I've been doing it now for a couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden, there's an update. So that's how recent this uh, this case has has hit the news. That's good, though. It is. So I hope that we can shed some light to our listeners on some things that are in the current news. Mm-hmm. And then you have a case that we're going to do and get uh, uploaded uh, after this one that um, is not current. Is not current. <laughs> so, but we hope that, uh, you know, when this one gets uploaded, that everyone is going to have a good time on Halloween mm-hmm. and be safe. Take your kids trick or treating and get lots of candy. So you can eat it when they go to bed. So you can check it and, and then eat it when they go to bed. It. That's right. Because they don't need all that candy. Nah. You that's do. just good parenting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. And we're fixing to be in turkey season. That's right. That's right. Are we going to do a turkey this year? I don't know. I haven't even thought about it. Well, we need to think about that. Sometimes we don't do a traditional Thanksgiving dinner. No. Sometimes we do a Cajun Thanksgiving dinner. Right. So we'll have to think about that. Let us know your thoughts. Mm-hmm. What do you guys do for Thanksgiving? Is it the typical Thanksgiving turkey and ham and giblets and gravy? Ugh. <laughs> That's mm. giblets. <laughs> I've always heard it pronounced giblets. Whatever. It don't matter. It depends it on where probably, you're from. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. But just speaking of turkey leads me into my nonsense for this week. Let's hear it. Okay, so driving down the road the other day. I was listening to the radio. You drive down the road? I drive down the road. Okay. That's how I get from point A to point B. Okay. So every morning I listen to the Kid Craddock morning show. They're based out of Texas. Mm -hmm. I'm sure anybody that lives in our area knows what I'm talking about. Well, they're nationwide, so... Oh, that is true. They are nationally syndicated. They are. Um, So they were talking about a phrase from way back when, the phrase jive turkey from way back when the show wasn't it from good times well he said it in good times yeah yeah so anyways so i was like oh my goodness i haven't heard that in forever because i think it was actually said before i was born if i'm not mistaken but anyways that's not the point okay so i was talking about it and of course the three younger ones were riding with because i take them to school in the mornings and they were like what is a jive turkey? Because they're thinking it's like a certain type of turkey. So, of course, I had to explain to them what it was. So, for the whole month of November, mm-hmm. which I've actually already started using it, I have decreed that we will be using the phrase jive turkey. Okay. I'll go along with that. Yeah. Which I've already started. <laughs> I've already started using it. So well, there's a couple of jive turkeys in my case today. Is it? There's a couple. Okay. So I'll let you say it when uh, when you think that someone is a jive turkey. I'll say it 
But if they're worse than a jive turkey, then I'll call them what they really are. Okay. Well, having said that, let's get into this case. Okay. So we're going to talk about a family in California, Modesto, California, to be exact, and uh, some something that happened to them, and, and then we're going to get into a lot of the details and things. This is a case that uh, I read about. It's been a while back, and uh, and actually 48 Hours did a special on it, and I watched uh, that that episode and it had a lot of details in it but then there was a there was a lot of updates that happened again like i said and cbs news did an episode or i'm sorry cbs news did a an update on it just uh, like i said a couple of days ago so we're going to get into the pettit family it was a calm and quiet 60 degree morning in modesto california morning is really not quite the word it was 3 a.m well before the rooster's crow. The darkness was penetrated by the sound of sirens. Neighbors had called 911 and reported a fire, a house fire. This is the home of Scott and Janet Pettit and the childhood home of their two children, Lauren and Brandon. But what had happened over at the Pettit residence? Was the whole family home? Was anyone even there? And what about the family dogs? Scott and Janet met when they were both in their late 20s. At the time, Scott was a paramedic and Janet was one of the receiving nurses at the local hospital. They met when Scott was bringing in a baby from the ambulance for care and Janet was the receiving nurse on duty. The two would eventually get married and start their beautiful life together. Children were definitely in the cars for these two. Lauren came first, but only two short years later, their family would become complete when Brandon arrived. Many happy years would pass, and in 2013, this picture-perfect family seemed to age well. Scott, now 59 years old and a successful karate dojo owner and instructor, and Janet, also 59 and having recently earned her Ph.D., had definitely provided a wonderful life for their small family, which also now included pets, three dogs. So what had happened at the pet at home on this early morning on August the 8th of 2013? Firefighters rushed to the home and arrived on the chaotic scene to witness flames coming from the windows. The brave men and women of the Modesto Fire Department did what they do best and battled until the flames were calmed to smoldering debris. As fire and rescue make their way through the soggy ash and thick smoke, they make a grisly discovery. The bodies of Scott and Janet were found on the floor in their bedroom. Oh, no. They were dead. Rescuers also discovered that two of the three family dogs had perished in the blaze. The third family dog, Bailey, was the lone survivor. Oh. Lauren, now 26 at the time of the incident, was at her place some 300 miles away when she received the call. She immediately contacted her brother, Brandon. What the siblings did not know, but they would soon be made aware of, is that investigators had been combing the charred debris and would be for days. You see, once the blaze was extinguished, clues started to show themselves, like a lighthouse on a foggy night, clues that would point to murder. Mm. 
The death of Scott and Janet Pettit had just turned Lauren and Brandon's life upside down, and now investigators are asking questions, the suspicious kind. Just a day or two after the fire that ravaged their childhood home, Lauren and Brandon are told by investigators that their parents did not die in the fire. Both parents had been shot a total of seven times. In addition to that, investigators found evidence in the couple's bedroom that an accelerant was used to fuel the fire. Scott and Janet Pettit were murdered. Oh. Investigators bring the siblings in to see if they may be able to shed some light on on something in their parents' lives that may point them in the direction of who and why. During Brandon's interview, police observed his demeanor, as they normally do in cases like this, and felt that he wasn't reacting to the news that his parents had been murdered in a way that they thought he should. Oh, sure, he was denying his involvement in the incident, but was he telling the truth? Uh Uh-oh. Brandon did have an alibi. He did live with his parents at this time, but on this night, Brandon was working the graveyard shift at work as a security guard. That would be easy enough to confirm and was corroborated by his boss. But investigators had a story building up in their minds that included Brandon's involvement in this crime. So they pressed him for any friends that they may be able to speak to. In the initial interview, upon giving a list of his friends to police, Brandon failed to mention one friend of his, Felix Valverde, who was 26 at the time. Now, Lauren had never heard of Felix before, Mm -hmm. but Brandon and Felix were both members of this, of a group. Uh, They they were called the Clampers. Um, This was more than a century-old fraternal organization, which was dedicated to the historical preservation of the American West. Clampers are also known for enjoying getting together to drink. Brandon not mentioning Felix in his initial interview was very suspicious to police, and this led them to obtaining a search warrant for Felix's apartment. Yeah, because, like, why would you not mention him? Right. I mean, it could be just an honest mistake, I guess, but... At the same time, you know, when you're sitting in that interrogation room with these investigators in front of you and they're asking you, hey, tell us ever. I mean, I'm looking through my phone. I don't want to miss anybody. Anybody, you know, text message wise, email wise, I'm telling them everybody. That, and you know off top of your head who your good friends yeah, are. sure. Who you hang out with. Well, I wouldn't be able to tell police anything about my friends because they'd wrap my ass out. So <laughs> they're not going to lie for me. <laughs> Police had a theory on what happened on the night of August the 8th, 2013, and it involved Brandon paying Felix to murder the Pettit parents. Police found that the Pettit children were the sole beneficiaries to everything that the family had. And even more damning than that, Brandon stood to gain just a little more than his sister, according to authorities. With him inheriting his dad's prized classic 1961 Corvette, along with the other vintage cars he owned. Now, a 1961 Corvette is, first of all, a beautiful car. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not quite 
10 years old from the start of the Corvettes, but I saw a picture of it with Brandon standing beside it, and it is absolutely gorgeous car. His dad had several vintage cars, Mm -hmm. and this one was probably one of the most beautiful. So police executed the search warrant to Felix's apartment. They found keys to the petted home. They found Scott and Janet's wallets. They found a box of 22 caliber ammunition and seven spent 22 caliber shell casings concealed in a planter outside. This was significant because Brandon's parents were shot a total of seven times. That and why would you be hiding it outside? True. Hours later, after they find all of this, Police called Brandon in for that second interview, Mm -hmm. which was taped, and they confronted him. Now, I tried. I tried to find the actual footage, recording, or video of the interview. There is video in the 48 Hours episode of the interview, and I'll just, I'm going to tell you, they press him hard. They go after Brandon hard, really hard. Does he crack? He never wavers. I really did want to get that footage, but I couldn't. Um, I couldn't figure out how to kind of co-mingle it with Mm -hmm. this, but I do have the transcript of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read the transcript and how they went after. So this this is detectives that are asking questions. They're kind of going after Brandon pretty hard, and the detective starts out with, you know, talking about what they found at Felix's house or, or apartment. And they start asking him about it. And the detective says, how would he come up with the keys to kill your parents? And Brandon replies with, I don't know. The detective says, you know why? Because you gave them to him. And Brandon says, I didn't give him shit. The detective says, Felix says, you gave him the keys and the keys both fit the garage door and the front door. Brandon, if you think for a minute that anybody, anybody is going to believe your story, including your sister, you're mistaken. You know what the thing about Felix is that you're not, that makes him more believable. He's remorseful. Brandon says, what do you mean remorseful? What the hell does that mean? Detective says, he's sorry that he did it. Brandon replies with, I don't know who killed my parents. And the detective says, yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No. Yes. No, that's the exchange back and forth in this interrogation room between the detective and Brandon. Now, when Brandon, the the whole yes, you do, no, yes, no, you can hear in Brandon's voice that he doesn't seem angry Mm -hmm. until that last no. Mm -hmm. Up until that point, he just seems scared. And then... That last no, you could hear his his complete voice change. And he said, no. So take with that what you will, but there are some things that are going to come out later that's probably going to point to a lot. I'll just okay, say that. Because as of right now, because at first I was like, oh, he gave him the keys. But now I'm kind of like, did he give him the keys? But the interview continued. During that second interview, unfortunately, Brandon made some incriminating admissions. Uh Uh-oh. 
Brandon said that he gave Felix bullets in the weeks leading up to the murders. Brandon said Felix asked him for the box of bullets that he had because Brandon's 22 caliber rifle or gun, 22 caliber gun, hadn't been fired in two years because he didn't have a bolt for it. Now, when it says bolt, I think of the rifle. So the 22 rifle is a bolt, can be a bolt action. And so if you don't have a bolt for it, then you can't load it and stuff like that. And then you can't fire it, obviously. Now, Brandon also admitted giving Felix $100 just days after the murders. But the most shocking part of Brandon's account was when he told investigators that about a month before the fire, Felix had threatened to kill Brandon's parents if Brandon didn't pay him $10,000. Why? There was never any reason given for that. And And so there was no, they never proved that either false or correct. And if that happened, why wouldn't he he have went to the cops then and been like, hey, this dude is threatening to kill my parents if I don't give him $10,000. And back to the transcript we go. Another detective that happened to be in the room said to Brandon, and you haven't told us something that is this important and you're telling us now? And Brandon replies with, I'm remembering a lot now. Bitch. Detective says, you know what? Bullshit. Bullshit. And where'd you go? Did you go to the police station? Brandon says, no. I went back to my parents' house and told my dad. The detective asks, why didn't you go to the police station? Brandon says, I don't know. Detective, instead, you give him a box of bullets? Brandon says, yeah, I could see that was a bad idea. Detective says, that was a bad idea? That's a bad excuse, and that's an even worse lie. Now, yeah, because just going over all that part in my head, if he went and told his dad, hey, homie over here threatened to kill y'all if I didn't give him $10,000, I would have think his dad would have been like, oh, well, we're fixing to call the cops and we're going to, you know, do a police report. Yeah, sure. That and the minute that he got the call from the cops, hey, your parents were found dead. Right. Why didn't he say right then, oh, fuck, I know who did it. Well, You'll find out. Okay. I'm just just going through all this in my mind. Right. So detectives are really pressing him as to why it took him so many days after the murders to come forward with this information. Mm. So detective says, why? Why did did it take you so long? And Brandon replied with, I didn't want to talk to anybody. What the fuck? Detective says, did you not want us to solve that crime? Brandon says, I wanted to do it myself. Okay, Magnum P.I. So the detective says, oh, wow, that's a new one. What did you do? I wanted to find out who did it myself. Mm-mm. Now, then the detectives start bringing up, well, why did you remain friends with Felix after all of this happened? Not only did he threaten to kill his parents, I mean, you know, now they were actually dead. So the detective asks, so... He tells you that he's going to kill your parents, you give him ammunition, and then you give him $100 after your parents are murdered. Brandon said, he said he had to pay his bills and needed some money. I had 100 bucks, so I figured I'd help him out until he got paid. The detective said, to the guy that was just threatening to kill your parents, 
If you didn't pay him money, you're helping him out. Matter of fact, you're hanging out with him afterwards, all buddy-buddy. And Brandon says, I didn't believe he was actually going to do it. Now, go ahead. I was going to say, but why did he need help with his bills and stuff if you paid him $10,000 to not kill your parents, but then you had to give him $100? He didn't give him the 10000 Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, he, he said that if, if you don't pay me $10,000, i am killing your parents, but he never ended up giving him $10,000. Okay, so that never exchanged hands. No. Okay. So investigators were convinced that Brandon was the mastermind behind the death of his parents. Oh, yeah. Only a little more than a week after the suspicious fire at the Pettit home, police announced that they have arrested Brandon Pettit and charged the couple's only son with the murder of his parents. Also arrested in connection with the murders was Felix Valverde. Obviously, this was a shock to Brandon, but more to his sister. To Lauren, her brother wasn't capable of this heinous act of violence against their parents. She wondered... What did they have as far as evidence? What had he said in that interview? And was the real killer still out there? Mm. A couple of people that Brandon had mentioned to police that he had been associated with were actually two women. Brandon had just gone through a very messy breakup with Susan Sanchez. Susan had just found out that she was pregnant with Brandon's child, which was not related to the reason for the breakup. But according to Lauren, Brandon was very excited about becoming a father. He loved his family, including his parents. He would have never, according to Lauren, done anything to mess that up. The other woman in Brandon's life at this time was Sarah Wilson. Sarah was an old friend of Brandon's from high school. They had just reconnected online during the summer of 2013. Sarah kept her distance at first. Even though Brandon was pushing for more, Brandon told her that his parents were going to purchase a million-dollar home for him in Georgia and let her move in with him. The reason that Brandon told Sarah that they were going to do this is because Brandon told Sarah that his mother saw how happy he was being with Sarah. Mm -hmm. And his mother obviously wanted her son to be happy. So they were going to purchase this $1 million home for him and her in Georgia. Now, they live in California. So Brandon even had emails from a real estate agent that he forwarded to Sarah. He had even told Sarah that his mother was going to start a boutique for Sarah to run, and she had never even met his parents. So was there any truth to this? Hold on. Just bear with me. Okay. Sarah thought this was a little odd, seeing that, like I said before, she had never met Scott and Janet, but Brandon insisted it was true. Sarah figured that she would finally meet Brandon's parents since Brandon told her that they had bought plane tickets to take them all to Atlanta to look at homes. Mm -hmm. But a couple of days before that supposed trip, Sarah received a strange text message from him. Quote, you're getting a boob job for Christmas, LOL. Whoa. The text came in at 1043 p.m. on August the 7th. 
Just a few short hours later, there was a fire at the Pettit home. He delivered the news to Sarah the following morning. Sarah got a text from Brandon saying, quote, My parents died last night in a house fire. She figured it was a little bit of a touchy subject and didn't press for any additional information, obviously. I mean, his parents just died, you know? Right. So after Brandon's first interview with detectives on August the 9th, Sarah says he called her and they planned on meeting up. Sarah says he told her that his aunt had canceled the flight tickets and they just want to keep that under wraps. So he asked her to please do not tell the detectives that. She thought that was very odd. Yeah. Uh, That's when she started to think that something is kind of weird. Sarah later learned that there were never any airline tickets, no trip to Georgia planned, and Brandon's parents didn't die in a house fire. They were murdered, and it wasn't long before investigators showed up at her door. Ew. And boy, did they press her for information about Brandon. She told them everything about those million-dollar homes, the supposed trip to Georgia, and the text Brandon sent promising her a breast enhancement just hours before his parents were killed. For police, it amounted to a financial motive for murder. Mm-hmm. I was fixing to say, so he was already spending the money he was going to get from their murder. That's how he was going to get that million-dollar home in Georgia. Ah. Remember, Brandon had been interviewed by police investigators twice. Mm -hmm. Both times, police say that Brandon showed no emotion at all about the death or murder of his parents, even when pressed very hard by police. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, they really went after him hard. And you, if you watch the 48-hour special uh, on Brandon Pettit, um, you'll see it. It, it. They have the tapes of the interviews, and they went after him hard. That's scary. Police looked at this as very suspicious. His lack of emotion, his lack of anything, really. But Lauren Pettit says that this evidence that police claim to have against Brandon really didn't amount to anything and his quote unusual behavior in his interviews was usual for brandon when lauren was about seven brandon about five she noticed that brandon loved playing pranks on people but when it came to career aspirations that was something he was serious about she says that he really wanted to either be a firefighter or police officer but basically something where he could help others. Lauren says Brandon was smart, very smart, but he struggled socially. Lauren remembers him being really stubborn and disobedient at times, and she says he had trouble making friends. She says that it was almost like he was looked down upon or looked at as if he just didn't fit in which had to be hard for him. When asked if she felt that Brandon was lonely, Lauren's only reply was, I'm sure. I'm going to ask you something. No, don't even ask. Lauren (laughs) states that she thought Brandon was so lonely that he would make up stories and tell lies just to get attention. 
a lot of us would dismiss these stories or small lies as normal kid things. You know, when they say, I can do this or I can do that or I'm going to get this, you know, whatever, knowing that they can't possibly do those things. Mm -hmm. It's not reality. Scott and Janet were aware of the struggles that Brandon was facing, so they took him to see numerous specialists. And when Brandon was in high school, he was diagnosed with Asperger's, a developmental disorder affecting his ability to communicate and sometimes read social cues. Which explains the no emotion during the questioning. Now, I want to pause and just kind of tell our listeners that one of ours has Asperger's. And when when he was diagnosed and, and things, uh, we had to do a lot of research on our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody holds a class on this shit. Um, it's hard. It is very hard because you have to completely change the way that you speak to that child. Mm-hmm the way that you treat that child and when you have other children in the house that do not have Asperger's it's hard really hard and I can see everything that was going on in these interviews and I watched those interviews and when in that 48 hour special this information came out way before they started showing those interviews so you kind of knew going into it I decided to make it afterwards. And so you see a police interrogation going on and you, you're like, oh, 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 he's he's guilty. I mean, he's, the way he's reacting or not reacting and all this stuff, it looks guilty. Because any other normal person out there, that's immediately what you're going to think. You're going to judge that book by its cover, right? Right. In this case, his lack of emotion, his lack of reaction and stuff, that's a normal Asperger's reaction. Which, when you started describing his childhood, and then it clicked in my head. It did. And I was like, oh. I saw it. I saw the light bulb go off, and you picked up on it. But see, that's not something that is readily av- available to police when they're interrogating a, some what they seem as a murderer. Right. And then that automatically made me think oh my gosh, like when police interrogate somebody, if they don't know that a person has Asperger's, I mean, like you just said, they're automatically going to be like, Mm. "Mm, guilt. Yeah. Well, hold on to your butts. Oh gosh. This is the reason why Brandon may not be aware of how he is presenting himself or what he is saying or how he is saying things. Oh yeah. People with Asperger's also are unaware of how they are reacting to certain things or not reacting and whether or not they are doing what normal people would consider to be normal. Lauren stated that her parents paid all of Brandon's bills and that he didn't even know the value of a dollar. As far as Brandon knew, there wasn't anything from his parents to inherit, but police looked at the classic Corvette or life insurance as possible financial motive for murder. During his interview with police, Brandon did inform them that he had been diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. 
And when the interrogation turned into the officers accusing Brandon of the murders, one of the interrogating officers at one point states, quote, and this whole Asperger's thing, I'm not buying that either. <gasps> oh. At this point, Lauren knows that she is going to have to fight and fight hard for her brother and his innocence. Yes. Brandon's appointed attorney, Robert Winston, knew the challenges he faced, especially since the alleged murderer had Asperger's. It would not be an easy task to convince a jury that Brandon's comments and lack of emotion was simply a side effect of his condition. From the time of the murders on August the 8th of 2013, it would take seven long years for Brandon's trial to start. However, it was always thought that Felix and Brandon would stand trial together. But before the trial would come to start, a judge ruled that Felix was not mentally competent to stand trial and ordered him into psychiatric care in hopes that he would eventually be able to do so. No, Brandon would be standing trial alone. But how is that fair for him? How is it fair that the man police really do believe committed the murders was incompetent when Brandon, having a diagnosis of Asperger's, could stand trial alone? At this point, I'm thinking it probably would be more beneficial for him to stand trial alone. I really do think that Felix suffered from the same thing. You think so? I do. I do. I think that's how they connected. I think that's how they were close friends is they had so much in common thinking-wise, mentally. I think that's why they were drawn to each other, to be honest. That's just my opinion. There's nothing in the case that substantiates that, but that's, that's just my opinion. The trial began on September the 1st of 2020. Again, like I said, seven years after. Wow, okay. And since Felix was found incompetent to stand trial, he would not be available as a witness for either the prosecution or the defense. Obviously, the prosecution let out with the evidence collected at Felix's apartment, which included the keys to the pet at home, Scott and Janet's wallets, the box of ammunition, and the seven spent 22 caliber shells found in a planter. The prosecution also called witnesses who knew Felix, and they testified that he had acquired a new gun in the weeks before the murders, a gun that defense attorney Robert Winston says was never found. Ooh, okay. Winston also argued that investigators didn't even know what caliber gun was used in the murders, which was true. The caliber of bullet used in the crime was never identified by police. The prosecution also called Susan Sanchez to the stand. They asked her to explain her relationship and some of the conversations that she had with the defendant. She explained that she and Brandon had dated, and Brandon was the father of her then six-year-old daughter. She also told the jury about a conversation she had with Brandon regarding her ex-husband, and that Brandon told her that he had a friend named Felix that could make her husband disappear for about $500. Again, this is her telling the jury this is really, I mean, hell, she could be lying. She could not. I don't know. Also called to the stand was Sarah Wilson. 
called upon by the prosecution, Sarah laid out all of those promises Brandon had made to her to the jury. This was an attempt to prove the state's case for a financial motive for murder. But the defense's star witness would counter this claim. Winston called Lauren Pettit to the stand, and she was only hoping she wouldn't say the wrong thing while up there. Lauren explained that there was no financial motive behind this linking her brother to the crime. The Corvette, it was already partially in his name, explained Lauren. She also explained to the jury how her parents were actually in debt at the time of their demise and that financially there was nothing for anyone to gain from their deaths. And actually, Brandon stood better financially if they were alive because they were paying his bills. Oh, okay. So then the jury would hear testimony about the idea of how someone got into the house and Lauren's counter-testimony would really cast a lot of doubt throughout the courtroom. The petted home had a large doggy door on the back door. This is how Lauren entered the house after the murders. And it was also how one of the detectives had admitted to entering the home. And he was much larger than Lauren. Oh, okay. So you didn't even need keys to get into this house. The keys found at Felix's apartment. Mm -hmm. Lauren explained that the home was equipped with battery-powered electronic locks which didn't require keys. However, in the event that the batteries ever died, Scott and Janet kept keys in each of their wallets at all times. So, it would be very plausible that the keys were not given to Felix by Brandon at all. (gasps) So he could have climbed into the doggy door, did his deal, stole their wallets, and the keys were in their wallets. That was exactly what the defense said to the jury. And then there was the interview and Brandon's own words and lack of emotion. Winston argued that with Brandon's Asperger's, he would have said anything after the nine-hour interview to just get out of there. That the jury should disregard the words of a mentally impaired individual. I mean, how did they keep his attention for nine hours? He's in in a corner, basically, backed into a corner at this little bitty table in this little bitty chair, and he is a big guy. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, how did he not have a meltdown after nine hours? I I have no idea. I know that, you know, at this time, he's in his 20s, you know, and and so, well, actually, at the time of the trial, he's in his Mm mid-30s, but, you know, at the time of the murders, he was in his 20s. -hmm. And so maybe, just maybe, you and I have seen the meltdown of a child Mm -hmm. this is not a child right maybe he's having a meltdown internally and it just never shows right that's true yeah so defense attorney winston calls dr laura geiger to the stand who is a clinical psychologist who was appointed by the court and testified that brandon's asperger's could explain his questionable statements and behavior Winston believes that it is Dr. Geiger's belief that Brandon's autism interfered in the police interrogation and worked against Brandon. Mm -hmm. Robert Winston stated that people with autism take information in differently than others do. 
So when the police ask a question, there's always the worry of, is it really understood by the person being asked the question? Now, that is so true. We have to ask when we are explaining something to our autistic child, we always have to ask, do you, we have to follow up. Do you understand? Do you, and when we can't say too much at once, right? you have to give little bits at a time and stop and say, do you understand? And they, how they also have to be looking at you mm-hmm. in the eyes because if they're not looking at you, they're not taking it in. After nine days of testimony and 23 witnesses and with no physical evidence that directly ties Brandon to the murders, the defense was feeling pretty optimistic when the case went to the jury. Everyone was on pins and needles as the jury deliberations went on for about a day and a half. But then there was a verdict. Brandon Pettit was found guilty of the murders of his parents and four months later was sentenced to two life terms without mm-hmm. the possibility of parole. That's horrible. I uh, I would be lying if I said that I did not get emotional watching the 48 hours, reading this case on other sites and sources and things. CBS News did their report on it. Like I said, 48 hours did theirs and stuff. And so that's where I got most of the information for this on. And I just want to give credit to them for sure. You know, great stories that they they produced. So he got two life terms without the possibility of parole. What's your thoughts? Did they hear Brandon at all? That's my question here. Prosecutors based their case on things that 25-year-old Brandon had said and done shortly before and after the murders, including statements he made to police in the videotaped interview prior to his arrest. But, according to CBS News, now more than two years after his conviction, on October the 19th, 2022, what? Yep. A California appeals court has ruled that those statements Brandon made during his police interview should not have been admitted into his trial because police should have read him his Miranda rights. (gasps) They didn't read him his rights? No. (gasps) The Court of Appeal in California remanded the case for a retrial, writing, quote, We conclude, based on all the relevant factors, particularly the nature of the questioning, a reasonable person in Pettit's position would not have felt free to terminate the interview and leave, and therefore, the interview was custodial. Accordingly, Pettit's statements were taken in violation of Miranda and were inadmissible to prove guilt. The court further found that the statements in question were harmful to Pettit's defense. Prior to Brandon's trial, his defense attorney had requested access to Valverde's competency records to see if they contained any exculpatory evidence. A judge denied the request at that time, but as part of their ruling last week, the appeals court found that the judge should have conducted a review of the records before ruling on that defense's request. Felix Valverde has pleaded not guilty. He was set to be tried alongside Pettit, but shortly before the trial, a judge found him incompetent to stand trial. He was placed in psychiatric treatment to determine whether his competency could be restored, and this past August, he was found competent. 
court records indicate his trial is now scheduled to begin in February of 2023. Now, I will just say this. The California Court of Appeal has recommended Brandon's trial go to retrial. This has to go through a couple of processes. At the moment, it has not gone through all of those processes, but they have recommended a new trial. Mm -hmm. Now, what will happen is either they will try Felix and Brandon together or Brandon's attorney will wait until after Felix is tried and see what comes out of that trial. I still don't think they need to be tried together. Well, I mean, I don't I don't know. I if they're kind of the the same, if if Felix does have something going on, maybe not Asperger's, but that's again, that's my opinion. But if he does have something else going on, is he going to say Brandon put me up to this or this was the plan and how can that be proven? But I mean, if he uh, if he really did do it, which I mean, obviously, Felix really did. If I was Brandon, I wouldn't want to be tried with him, especially if I didn't put him up to it. Well, here's the other thing. Felix had the wherewithal to pick up the seven spent shells. Right. He had the new gun, which reportedly from witnesses was a twenty-two caliber revolver. Revolvers do not eject the shells. They actually stay in the gun. So those, if Felix was the murderer, those went back with him to his apartment. Right. And he took those out of his gun and tried to hide them in that planter. Right. So the, he, he knew he knew what he, he had was the wherewithal. Doing. Yeah. He had the wherewithal there. So I don't know. I, I really do think that that Felix was probably the murderer. Now, was Brandon involved? Now, it was stated that there was a theory that Felix just overheard Brandon talking about possible money in that house, and he took it upon himself, needing money to go in there and do that. He got in through the doggy door. He went up there. He killed them. He set fire, and on his way out, he grabbed the wallets that were actually on the counter in the kitchen mm-hmm. near the back door. Grabbed the wallets as he was heading out. So that was a theory. And to me, that's a very plausible theory. The fact that Brandon was diagnosed with Asperger's and things, I, I don't think that he really, even if he said some of those things to Felix or whatever, some of the other things that are said that he said to Felix and other people in the the 48-hour special, you have to take what they say with a grain of salt. They do have the tendency to tell stories. And and in this case, Brandon did some lying to, you know, Sarah and, and stuff, and he did some lying to other people and things, and he was known not to tell the truth. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I mean, our son says that he's going to marry our cat. And for a while there, he he was a T-Rex. Yeah, yep. that's right. When so, he was in pre-K, he actually signed his papers, T-Rex. What were you going to say? You can't say anything <laughs> other than that. You destroy him. Right. You know? It's like, okay, yes, sir. Yeah. So you kind of, you have to take every bit of that into consideration. And to me, I really do think that they need to 
look at his competence in standing trial here. Not to say that he needs to go to some psychiatric home. I mean, there are people out there that that live normal life, somewhat normal anyway, that have Asperger's. And Brandon is is considered high-functioning. Ours is considered Mm high-functioning. And so this one got me. They just, what they need is someone that is a specialist with Asperger's with him, like in court, any any questioning with lawyers, that person needs to be with him. But he's not going to be able to go through a normal court session. I mean, he's not going to understand. That's what I'm saying. I mean, he's, and I'm only thinking of this from from the aspect of our child and thinking of that's if this happened they need he needs a person that's a specialist with asperger's as kind of an advocate with yes, him an advocate as he's going through this process yeah or else it's not going to be fair to him somebody that actually knows how to ask him questions if right. they want to interrogate him bring somebody in ask him the questions in a way that he's going to understand right and i think that you probably would get to the truth there right that way anyway yeah. so i told you that this was extremely fresh and even when we were talking about this case yesterday I, I didn't tell you what it was about or anything but i told you that literally within the last days there's been mm-hmm. an update yeah so that cbs report came out on the 27th mm-hmm. of october two days ago so today's the 29th mm-hmm. that came out two days ago that's how fresh this was and so there's a lot more that's going to end up coming out of this case oh yeah so we need to keep an eye on it this is part one of the brandon pettit story might be a couple of years for it might be it might be some years before we get to part two but um i'm not gonna let this one die i'm gonna keep an eye on this i'm gonna follow it and you know maybe if i've got enough that during that time frame before it goes to this next trial or whatever you know if i got enough to do another story i will but for now that is the end of part one of brandon pettit and i'm sitting here and i'm like i've never had a story make me feel like an asshole but i feel like an asshole because you know at the beginning you feel like everybody else would because we all i I present the way i presented it to you Right, because I'm like, well, why didn't you go tell the cops when homie was like, oh, I'm going to kill your parents if you don't give me 10000 But now it's like, oh, now I know why you didn't go to the cops. And him telling them, I wanted to solve it myself, that is 100% Asperger's. Exactly, yeah. 100%. Yeah. He didn't want to talk to anybody at that time. 100% autistic. Mm -hmm. I mean... You look at every little thing that happened before and after and in his interviews, and you're like, oh, okay, yep, I see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything. And then you look back, and anybody else, if you did not know that, you'd be like, oh, he's fucking guilty. Right. He is guilty as shit. Nope. Yep. Now, is he guilty? I don't know. But I'm not going to rush to judgment here. Right. Because there's a very good chance that he did tell police whatever they wanted to hear just to get out of there. Oh, yeah. 
without having a meltdown like you say. Yeah. So you have to take what he says with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. This is not a Henry Lee Lucas liar situation. This is a. This is something totally different. This is completely different. different. Yeah. So Brandon Pettit mm. and Lauren is still fighting for her brother. Well, I mean, she, she of all people, knows him mm-hmm. personally. She, she knows him the best. Right. Yep. We're with you, Lauren. I uh, hope that everything does work out. I mean, it, it sucks. I mean, it sucks. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't either. I cringe to even think that if something happens and and our son is pulled in, Ugh. and I, I cringe to even think of what he says because... <laughs> you know, I mean, some yeah. of the stuff he says some of the now stuff, is kind of like, okay. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, and, and as as newly, you know, newly made Asperger child parents, it's like, what do I say? When he tells me things like that, what do I say? Okay, just go along with it. And then you look at the ones, the other kids sitting beside him, and you're like, but I don't want them to think that it's okay to tell stories like this. That's why it makes it so hard. It does. You but know? at the same time, it's like you got to make your other kids understand mm-hmm. that yep. it's a slippery slope. You don't want to tell your kid. You don't want your kid to know that. They're being treated differently. Yeah, that they're treat being treated differently. But at the same time, it's like... You have to treat them differently. You have to treat them differently <laughs> right. because you can't expect someone who's wired differently right. in their brain to conform to the way we think. Right. Robert Winston, the defense attorney, he was 100% correct when he said that autistic people, with especially with Asperger's, do not receive information the same way that other people do. And that is correct. They do not put out information the same way that other people do. Yeah. So you have to be very aware of Mm -hmm. what you're putting into that brain and what you're getting out of that brain. Right. Because it does not work like ours. That's right. I say ours, you know, normal people's brains. I'm not normal, so. And And I've always said... Who's to say they're not normal? We might be the ones that aren't normal. And I want to tell you something. Autistic children, autistic people are brilliant. Yes. They are extremely smart to somewhat of a genius level. Mm -hmm. But what they do is they latch on to something that they love and they own it. In our case, it's dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, that's right. He can tell us things that about dinosaurs that we've never heard of before that we don't know and he's the most knowledgeable Mm -hmm. i mean he's what nine he's nine so he's nine and he is the most knowledgeable that i've ever seen when dinosaurs are involved and i don't know what we're gonna do because you know the last jurassic world movie just came out and, you know, every time a new one comes out, they release new dinosaurs. Yes. And that's all he wants for birthdays and for Christmas is the new dinosaurs. Yep. Well, now that they're not releasing any more new movies, and, of course, we got all the dinosaurs, it's like, oh, shit. Yep. What are you going to do now? How are we going to find new dinosaurs since we just about got all of them? Right. <laughs> so, 
again, stay tuned. Uh, Felix's trial, like I said, is scheduled to start February of 2023. So there may be a huge development mm-hmm. uh, for, that comes out of that trial there, obviously. And then, you know, if this does get approved to where it goes to a retrial, if they decide to try uh, or charge Brandon again, the Felix trial, whatever happens there, it may change the prosecutor's mind depending on what's said in that trial. So stay tuned for that. Reach out to us at our email address, Podcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts. Uh, share any stories that you may have, any listener stories, any uh, things that may have happened to you. Want to thank a listener for sending an email to us and actually suggesting a case. Yeah. And uh, I actually had, uh, I have a project that is going on in that city where that uh, suggested case took place, uh, a construction project that I'm working on. And I had already uh, recently, very recently, spoken to someone that lives in that area, and they actually mentioned that case to me. Very interesting case. Uh, they, we talked about another one also. So thank you to that listener definitely appreciate you guys reaching out to us and uh yes gonna be doing that case very soon Uh, that was a very good case that they suggested so Mm -hmm. thank you for that so we are getting ready to record jamie's episode which is wilding in the 30s (laughs) and it's it is wild shortly after the great depression so uh stay tuned for that and stay tuned for other future episodes i'm paul and i'm jamie and please join us next time and remember to stay disturbed bye bye